Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most merciful Father, the one who has formed us and made us, we pray that you would give us understanding, that we might be able to learn from your commandments and learn about your law. Lord, that those who fear you shall, shall, shall see you and rejoice, that we would hope in your word, and that we know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, that it is through your faithfulness that we see and face affliction in our life, but we pray that your steadfast love would comfort us according to your promises given to your servants, and we pray that we would find that comfort this morning, uh, this evening. We pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 92. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. By the works of your hands I sing for joy. For great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. A stupid man cannot know, a fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord. For behold your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar of Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age, and they are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. And grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. In his book, Joseph Piper paints a picture of that in his book, The Lord's Day, of a designer of a town, and he comes and designs this town, and and center to the design of this town is a lovely garden. A garden that is set apart as a space for the townspeople. Years go on and this town sees many things try and happen. You see neglect of this garden used for the people of the town. You see uh, people trying to enshrine this garden. To leave it as it once was. To uphold it as a sacred place where no one should enter, no one should come and enjoy it. 
You see others who see this space as useless and worthless, and thus they want it to be eliminated, annihilated, that, that we might be able to replace this garden with something else. But that's not what the garden was intended for. In this picture that he paints, he paints of the son of the designer coming and telling the people that this garden was made for the people. That this garden was not made, uh, the, the people made for the garden, but the garden made for the people. To be able to enjoy this garden, find rest in this garden, to think about the great history of what has happened in this town. The great designer who built this garden. He paints this picture, this glorious book of explaining what the Lord's Day is. And we find ourselves tonight, this evening, on the Lord's Day, looking at this psalm. And this psalm is a, quite a unique psalm. It's quite unique because it is the only psalm that we're told what day it is written for. In the inscription of the psalm, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. Now in the Septuagint, the, the translation of the Septuagint, they set apart seven psalms for seven different days, but we don't find that here in our Bibles, just the Greek translation. Now we're told of days that psalms were written. Psalm 30, a song for the dedication of the temple. We're told of psalms that are made for certain offerings, for a memorial offering in Psalm 38. We're told of psalms of thanksgiving, of Psalm 100. The psalm of ascents for a period of time where, where the people of God would ascend up to Mount Zion. However, Psalm 92 is unique that it is the only psalm that we're told that this is the, it's a day to be sung on a particular day. Now, all psalms are to be sung on every day, but this psalm is set apart specifically for the Sabbath. Gill says this, It was made for the Sabbath day, to be used upon it, and to direct the work and worship of it, praising of God and celebrating His work, attending to His house and ordinances. So what do we learn about this day, the Lord's day, the Sabbath day, for us today? We see first that it is a day of delight, for believers, a day of delight for believers. The psalmist begins and quite openly says that it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name. He opens up and, and first his, his center and his focus is on two names of God. He says to give thanks to the Lord, Yahweh, the one who is faithfully keeping all of his covenant promises to be able to give thanks to him. But secondly, he says, O Lord, Most High. This is used of Melchizedek when, when they begin to worship in, in, in Genesis chapter 13 when Abraham has defeated the, the kings and he comes before. And who is Melchizedek? He's a priest of the Most High, maker of heaven and earth. This day is a good day to be able to worship God and what He has done. Now this might sound strange, but do we say that it is good to be able to worship and give thanks to the Lord? Of course we would answer yes. But how often does our heart have the same answer? 
to be able to worship God, to have this day which is a delight for Him, a delight for us, to give thanks to God. As Mr. Sidney once pointed out, and one of those things that has been pointed out and has stuck with me, the error in Romans 1 of the people. Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 21, Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They became futile in their thinking and foolish hearts were darkened. So it's not merely just that they know God, but in their knowing God, they did not glorify and honor Him or give thanks to Him. And the psalmist begins and says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises. The Sabbath is a day in which we give thanks to God, honor Him, worshiping Him, glorifying Him as a delight for the believer. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 58, warns the people of Israel and he, he warns them of their life that they're living, the road which they pass. And in, in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 12, he speaks that the Sabbath day is for delight. If you return and, and, and see the Sabbath as a delight for you. George Swinnock says, A Thanksgiving day has double precedent of a fast day. On a fast day, we eye God's anger. On a Thanksgiving day, we look to God's favor. In the former, we specially mind our own corruptions. In the latter, God's compassions. Therefore, a fast day calls for sorrow. A Thanksgiving day for joy. But he says the Lord's day is the highest Thanksgiving day. Where we all come together corporately to lift up our voices and give thanks and praise to God. And on this day, it's set apart that we might be able to delight in what God has done, giving thanks to Him. And the psalmist says it is good. So how do we then give thanks to God on His day? Well, here it says that we sing praises, make music, and a melody. Now this echoes what Paul writes in Colossians. Chapter 3, the word of the Lord dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The mark of the believer is the mark of a believer becomes a worshiper of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones actually said that the measure of our spirituality is found not in the deeds that we do, but the praise in which we sing, the prayers in which we utter. You want to see someone who is truly growing in maturity. Of course, you would see these fruits bearing in their life, but the greatest fruit that you see is their worship unto God, their prayers that they pray. not only make music, but we also declare of God's steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. 
Now, I don't need to tell you this. this you are the, guy, the people who are here in the Lord's Day evening worship service. But we see that it is the Lord's Day, a day set apart to be able to delight in the Lord. Sadly, how often many of us treat it merely as a delight in the Lord for an hour. The rest of the day is ours, but I will give him a portion of our time. This, I think, is one of the greatest arguments for evening worship. That it takes a day to be able to celebrate all that God has done for us. I often think that morning worship is the one that primes the pump. And evening worship is where we really get to meditate more on God's goodness. The Sabbath day is a day in which we list the things God has done for us. But how, sadly, we treat it as the other, that the Sabbath day is the day that we check things off our list, rather than focus on the list God has already checked off for us. Now, if we were to truly do this, wouldn't it take us a day and some more? A day of delight, a day of rejoicing, a day of celebrating what he has done. Now, as I'm preparing this sermon, this is one of the things that really um, convicted me. How much do I see the day of the Lord, a delight, a rejoicing, a celebration? Do I count down to the beginning of the day rejoicing or do I count down to the end of the day where I, the day has passed? Now often our kids have the question, how many days until? How many days until my birthday? How many days until we go visit Grammy and Pop-Up? How many days until we go on this special trip? How many days until Christmas? Well, the believer should be counting down the days until that Lord's Day where we celebrate once more with the people of God. How many days until we get to enter into the courts of thanksgiving and praise with God's people as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another? How many days? So we see it's a day of delight for believers. The second thing that we see is a day of defeat for God's enemies. Look at verses 5 and then all the way to verse 11. But how great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. Your fool, the fool cannot understand. And though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed for destruction forever. Verse 9, for behold your enemies, O Lord. For behold your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. In verse 11, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. And this day is set apart where we rejoice and we see that the Lord is supreme, that he reigns over all. We might go through the week and we might be downcast. We might be dejected. We might be depressed at the headlines that we see, the the news feed that scrolls before us, the, the news in which we've heard from our friends, those situations and times and circumstances in which we find ourselves. And when we come in to be able to gather and, and worship the Lord, we are reminded 
that he sits enthroned above all heavens and all the earth. That we see the wicked prosper. His psalm points out that we see the wicked sprouting like grass. But yet we have a day to be reminded of the defeat which is to come. That God still reigns supreme. As we utter every week, I believe in God the Father Almighty. That those problems and issues not wash away as we walk through the door, as we focus our eyes onto God. But they can become a lot smaller when we realize how big God is. But it's not merely a defeat over those things that we see, those external things around us, but also the internal things within us. The defeat of sin within us as we rejoice, as the Holy Spirit works within us, convicting us of our sin, drawing us onto the cross, and walking in that newness of life. We see the defeat of the old man and the, the, the beginning of the new man. But it's also a day of final defeat where we're reminded, just as we read before from John chapter 20, that the Lord has defeated sin and Satan forever. Death, the the last enemy is defeated. Death is gone. We rejoice every day as we celebrate, as we even recite the Apostles' Creed that the third day that Christ rose again from the dead, He ascended into heaven and He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is victor over sin and Satan, but also that He will come to judge the quick and the dead. That we have no reason to be able to have enemies in this life because the enemies are defeated by God. A joyous thing as we celebrate the defeat of all things. That's sin. But thirdly, we see that it's a day for, of development for believers. A day of development for believers. Verses 12 to 15. The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that God is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. It's a day of delight for believers as we celebrate with God's people, as we lift up all the great things that God has done, who he is. It's a day of defeat of God's enemies, but it's a day of development for believers now, this is a day where, where believers flourish and grow. Notice what happens in this passage to the true believers. Notice the words that are used. That they flourish, that they grow, they're planted, they, they bear fruit. They're full, they declare. As we delight in God and who He is, as we remember Christ's victory over sin and Satan... We also grow, grow in maturity in our faith, in our understanding of who God is, who we are. 
There's many things you could point out in this passage, how we're, we flourish like a palm tree, we grow like a cedar of Lebanon. These are, these are trees that are known for their longevity, known for their size. Maybe if you were to translate this into words and terms that Americans would understand, that they're like the, the big cedars, the big redwoods in California. You see them and they, they flourish. But maybe just focus on one thing this evening. In verse 14, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Now some of us in this room have circled the sun more than others. But notice the life of the believer is not what the world says. Old age to the world says you reach a point where you become a burden where you are not helpful or useful for society. You've done your part. But old age for a believer does not mean that it becomes useless or unfruitful. In the Christian family, you still have sap within you. You still have fruit to be able to bear. A day where we see the fruit of God still working within us. Maybe the sap is not running as freely as it once did. Or maybe the sap is causing aches and pains. But the psalm says you still bear fruit. You're still useful to the Lord. Whatever that might look like, that might shift in different seasons. But you still have a purpose for God to be able to use you. You still have fruit to be able to give. And how sadly, we, I think we sometimes forget that. A day of development for believers. But finally and most importantly, it's a day. Day of the Lord. It's the Lord's day. The center of this verse is really the, the pinnacle of this whole time. Sometimes in Psalms that... It's an idea that grows and builds, that he unpacks more and more as he gets and amplifies as it goes up. Sometimes he starts with the main idea and unpacks it as, as he goes through. But sometimes it's not like it, a valley or a mountain. It's, it's a peak at a valley where you go up and then down. And the center, the point, the pinnacle is right at the middle. Often commentaries do this and it's not very helpful in preaching. But they lay it out on the page that they go A, B, C, D, C, B, A. And the the pinnacle of all of this is right in the middle in verse 8. But you, Lord, are on high forever. That this day is a day where we seek to be able to worship and glorify God and He is at the middle of it. And sadly, then, what becomes of this is a question about us. Can I do this, or can I do that? We're hung up on the wrong question. heard a preacher give a, a glorious illustration of this point exactly. There's a married couple, and they're, um, they're going on their honeymoon. They're, they've just left, and they come back, and everybody's sitting around in church and they can tell already that something is not right. The honeymoon was way over before they returned. And finally, they, they come up to the pastor, and the pastor 
says, well, let's set up a time where we can meet, and they meet, and they sit down, and the pastor can obviously tell that it all is not well. And they sit down, and the pastor just asks a simple question. What's, what's happening? You were happy on the day of your wedding. You've come back from your honeymoon, and now you're dejected, sad. And the wife speaks first and says, well, you would not believe what he did. He went golfing on our honeymoon and left me here all alone. And the husband then turns and speaks and says, well, you went shopping. And then they ask the question, well, can you go shopping or play golf on your honeymoon? And the pastor turns around and says, you have misunderstood it all. You're asking a question whether you're allowed to. Well, that's not the question you should be asking. Who do you want to spend time with? What do you want to do? The focus is on you as an individual rather than you as a couple. And so many of us do this on the Lord's Day. We think about what we can and cannot do, and we think about whether it's lawful or not lawful, and whether it's right or wrong. But often this is when our heads are in the weeds, when we're not looking at the glory of God. Today, freedom is defined by doing what you want. Well, sadly... That is a wrong understanding of freedom because freedom to ourselves, left to our own devices, we would often follow the sinful man. Freedom for a child is eating candy all day. That's not going to end well. Freedom for a sinner is to sin all day. Freedom is doing what you want, but that's not the picture of freedom in the Bible. Freedom and flourishing, growing and developing comes when we rest in God, when we find our union in Christ, where He is exalted as King over our lives, where we seek not to be independent, but when we seek to be dependent upon God and God alone. He is the one that gives us all the blessings, the benefits, because of our union with Christ. Sadly, I think that many people read this psalm and hear of what this psalm speaks of, and they're quite surprised. I think many people who assume they're going to heaven will be quite surprised when they get to heaven. They think again of that question what do I want? And heaven is just a glorious place for where they get what they want. But we're given a very vivid image and we're told of very specific things that believers will do for all eternity in Revelation. Revelation 7 says before the throne of God they will serve him all day and night in the temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. They will hunger no more, they neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb will be in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and the God will wipe away every tear from their eye. That here we find in this psalm that the Sabbath is a day of preparation. The Lord's Day is a day of preparation for all eternity, what all eternity will look like. 
that all eternity we will delight in the Lord. He will be in the midst, we will be serving God day and night in His temple, rejoicing in Him. We will be celebrating and lifting up our voices in the defeat of all of God's enemies. The only time in the Bible the word hallelujah is used is when eternal judgment and punishment is given to those who have rejected God. In Revelation chapter 19, the great multitude in heaven cry out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for His justice. Judgments are just and true. He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth of her immorality and avenged on her blood of His servants. And they cried out again once more, Hallelujah. And the smoke goes up from from her forever and ever. And the 24 elders, the living creatures, fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him small and great. We celebrate for all eternity God's just and just judgments crying out and praising Him, how He has defeated Satan and sin. But one thing will change. Us. When that imperishable seed is raised, when we sit for all eternity, worshiping and glorifying God, that internal sinner will be no more. There will be no reason or need for development in the sense of the old man dying and the new man coming because the new man that is there is there forever. Forever bearing fruit. A joyous time where we celebrate God. But I think there will be a time of development for believers for we will vastly grow and understand in our understanding of God that we will still will not be infinite in our wisdom and knowledge that we would seek to be able to grow in that. We won't know all things at all times. But we would be able to learn to be able to grow. Thus, the, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is a day of preparation for us of what eternity will look like. Not perfect. But do we delight in this day? Do we delight as we rejoice in God and who He is? Do we rejoice over the God's defeat and are reminded of God's defeat? Or do we leave the Lord's day then thinking of all the other things that are, are burdensome? Are our minds then taken back to the news lines, the headlines, the chaotic life that we live in? Do we grow on the Lord's day? Do we see this day as a day of our pruning and our our bearing of fruit? What a great psalm for us to meditate on. A convicting psalm to be able to challenge us, to be able to focus our mind and hearts upon God and Him alone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and merciful Father, We give you thanks and praise for your word. And your word does indeed convict us. 
that sometimes your word is like a sword that just hits to the heart, that challenges us. Lord, even if we do have a high view of your day, often we have misunderstood it, misinterpreted it. And we pray that you'd forgive us. Teach us to be able to see this day as a day of which we can focus and meditate on you. Lord, to be able to delight in you. Lord, to be able to see the defeat of your enemies and rejoice over Christ, the one who is victorious. But also, Lord, a day of development where we grow more into your likeness. We pray that you would continually in our life, how many, how many Sabbaths and Lord's days we have left, that we would see each of these days as a great and glorious day of preparation for that day in which you return and we'll be doing these things forevermore. We pray that you'd be with us, help us to do this, for we know that we need your spirit within us to accomplish these tasks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.